Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central in Chattanooga, Tennessee. want to welcome you to the next 90 minutes of Prophecy Today weekend. We'll go to our six broadcast partners across the world, getting information, basically details behind the headlines of what is happening in our world. And we'll talk about how these stories that we will be covering seemingly are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. By the way, this last couple of days, there's been some asteroids that came near the Earth On Election Day, just prior to it, the day before, there's going to be an asteroid that may hit the Earth. We'll talk with Dr. Don DeYoung, an astronomer, about that. This is just only one of the interesting stories that will be available for you today. But first, we're going to Ken Timmerman. Ken covers the geopolitical events of our world. We're so glad to have him available for us. And Ken, I've got to be honest... We have read most of the book. We're up into the recount part of the book, Judy and I, on Ken's brand new book, Election Heist. And I've got to tell you, we've got to be honest. We've got to confess. We went over to the last chapter. (laughs) We see what did happen, but we won't tell anybody because they've got to read the whole book to get to the conclusion. But how's the sales going on the book, Ken? Well, things are a little bit slow. It's summertime, but uh, I really encourage you all to go have a look. You can download a free chapter if you sign up for email updates at my website, kentimmerman.com, and uh, have a look. You know, read a little bit of it, see what you think, uh, see if it appeals to you. It is uh, my best effort to prepare you for what's going to happen in November. We just saw a shocking, shocking uh, preview, and it's by the way, it's already in my book, but we saw a shocking preview on... Friday morning when Senator Rand Paul went on Fox News in the morning and told the story with video of what happened to him Thursday night at the Republican National Committee. He was leaving the White House after the president's speech by a mob that was prepared to kill him on the street. And if he hadn't grabbed onto the flak jacket of a bicycle cop right near the White House, he and his wife today would be dead or in the hospital severely beaten. It was a shocking, shocking event. This is the kind of thing that I warn you about in the election heist, and it's going to happen. It's going to happen, unfortunately. I really hate to say this, Jimmy. It's going to happen in a neighborhood near you. Well, I have to say that Ken Timmerman is not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but he is very knowledgeable of our world today and a great writer. You might be excited about the book, The Election Heist. I would suggest you try to read it. Judy and I are just at the end of it, but it's been thrilling all the way through. Well, let's get to business at hand. We bring Ken Timmerman to this broadcast table to give us analysis of some of the news items. Turkey's drive to become the maritime powerhouse in the Mediterranean is really upsetting that region of the world, and there is Turkey again involved in something very, very controversial. Well, Jimmy, the Turkish Navy is on the cusp of provoking a real military crisis in the eastern Mediterranean. This week, we had Greek naval vessels and Turkish naval vessels basically staring at each other, bow to bow, uh, around this uh, Turkish oil exploration platform. The Greeks had said uh, that they would hold naval exercises nearby. The Turks said, well, we're just going to keep that a platform drilling for oil in what Greece, Greece says is its territorial waters. This is a 
potential very, very big crisis. You had on Thursday the uh, European Union foreign ministers meeting together in Berlin. Uh, th- those meetings extended over on to Friday morning, where they agreed that they would support Greece and call for sanctions against Turkey. If Turkey didn't relent in its effort to basically seize a huge portion of the eastern Mediterranean to block the pipelines from Israel into Europe. So Turkey is getting increasingly militant. It's getting uh, aggressive. It has put its navy out there to uh, blockade parts of the eastern Mediterranean. And uh, this is a crisis which we have been watching. We've been watching here on this program. Very few people are paying attention to it. But it's going to start to get world attention I think, as this uh, naval crisis evolves in the coming weeks. Yes, and not only is the European Union and Greece confronting Turkey today, they're in the Mediterranean, but the United Arab Emirates, the Arab nation who just agreed to normalize relationship with the state of Israel, the Jewish state of Israel, the UAE sees Turkey as a threat. Talk to me about that story. Well, that is actually a development that has been, again, that we have been tracking here for several years. Uh, we saw the UAE clashing with Turkey and Qatar already during the Libyan civil war in 2011. I wrote about this in Dark Forces, uh, the truth about what happened in Benghazi. And we've seen increasingly, as the United Arab Emirates has sided with a moderate group of Arab states, which surprisingly enough, now includes Saudi Arabia under the crown prince, Mohammed bin Salman. These uh, Arab states who are, are in open negotiations with Israel, the UAE has openly pledged to have diplomatic relations, and the Saudis are not very far behind. Qatar is the uh, hardline state with Turkey that is resisting any relationship with Israel, that is supporting the Muslim Brotherhood and trying to subvert its neighbors, including Saudi Arabia and the UAE. So the UAE is now declaring openly that Turkey is a hostile state. This is something very new and uh, very dramatic, and I think it will have consequences. Well, we can't get away from Turkey and its leader, Tayyip Erdogan. He has produced a video that shows he wants to control the city of Jerusalem. That's going to bring a conflict about between Turkey and Israel. I mean, this could be a major play in the prophetic scenario found in God's Word, but Erdogan has been working at taking control of the Jewish state and the city of Jerusalem. Uh, Absolutely, Jimmy. And this is just, again, it's indicative of the uh, game plan of wretched Tayyip Erdogan, uh, that he wants to become the leader of the Islamic Caliphate, and that the goal of the Islamic Caliphate, it's not to restore Turkey and the Ottoman Empire, it's to become the ruler of Jerusalem and to become the head of the Islamic world. That is Erdogan's goal. So in this promotional video, which which shows kind of Hollywood-esque type scenes of Ottoman warriors uh, on horseback, you know, riding across uh, desert plains and mountains and, and slaughtering their enemies, they end up where? Praying in the mosques that the Muslim uh, emperors have built up on the Temple Mount. And then the, it ends with an aerial view, just so you don't confuse what they're doing, showing the Dome of the Rock and the Temple Mount and the Al-Aqsa Mosque. It, it's really extraordinary. It shows a level of hubris 
which we have not seen in a Turkish leader in hundreds of years. Well, this is, again, a number of activities unfolding that fit into that prophetic scenario for the end times. Let's switch from Turkey to Iran. This Islamic Republic, according to many there in the Middle East, is really not a state, but it's more a criminal enterprise. Talk to me about that, Ken. Well, that will be the undoing, eventually, of what I call the Islamic State of Iran, uh, corruption. And the corruption is systemic. It goes all the way from the top, Ayatollah Khamenei, who has billions of dollars in foreign bank accounts that he personally controls. It goes to the top Revolutionary Guards leaders who also have overseas bank accounts. It goes to the regime becoming one of the world's biggest drug trafficking organizations, where they work uh, both with the Taliban in Afghanistan and criminal enterprises in Mexico and in Central America to bring drugs into the United States. They're working in that tri-border region in Latin America. So uh, they are a criminal enterprise, and as the Iranian people increasingly realize that the leaders of their country have their own personal interests and bank accounts at heart and not the interests of the Iranian people, I think that will give them increasing courage to rise up against them. It was very interesting that uh, this week there was a visit by the Secretary of State to Israel, Mike Pompeo there, and while he was there meeting with the Prime Minister and the opposition leadership of the Israeli government as well, uh, the Secretary was quoted as saying, I hope and pray that Iran will ultimately normalize ties with Israel. Now, I don't see that on the horizon, do you, Ken? Um, I do, Jimmy, I do. When the people of Iran uh, rise up and replace this uh, tyrannical uh, Islamic foreign dictatorship in their country, and I think it's, it's aspirational, that's what Pompeo was saying, uh, and, and he has been trying to make very, very clear to the Iranian people that he sees through the leadership in Tehran to the uh, goodness of the Iranian people themselves, to the long-standing ties between the Persian people and the Jewish people. Remember, uh, back to, to Purim and, and uh, the Book of Esther in the Bible. So there are these long-standing ties between the two peoples. Right now, it is the government of the Islamic regime in Tehran that is the enemy. Uh, and Pompeo, I think, again, aspirational, he is looking towards the demise of that government. Well, I have to tell you, Ken, I may just slightly disagree because as it relates to your book, uh, I have read the last chapter <laughs> and some of the activities between now and then under plain the fact that uh, God's Word says there's going to be a major conflict between Iran and the state of Israel when those nations align against them. But either way, I love the fact that our Secretary of State, who says he knows Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, is hopeful about the future. Ken, thank you for your book. Thank you for your reports with us here on Prophecy Today. We so appreciate your insight. We'll have another conversation next week. Amen to that, Jimmy. Always a pleasure to be with you. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we've got David Dolan standing by. He's going to give us his Middle East News Update. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today.
Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. I have written a book entitled Sound the Trumpets. This book looks at four major trends given to us in the prophetic passages of God's Word. This book will look at an alignment of nations, who will form a coalition to wipe Israel off the face of the earth, that their name be forgotten forever. That's Psalm 83 and verse 4. Now this book would help you to better understand why all of the activity that is going on in the Middle East, current events, is actually setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. It will be a great source of information that will assist you in your study of Bible prophecy. Go to my prophecy bookstore, prophecytoday.com, then to the bookstore to make your purchase of the book, Sound the Trumpets. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung here at Broadcast Central. So glad to have you along as we talk with our broadcast partners across the world getting information, details into the stories that are being covered by the mainstream media. But we go much more in-depth than they do because we have a purpose trying to help you understand how these current events are setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. As promised, we go to David Dolan. He's been a journalist in the Middle Eastern part of the world for over 30 years. He has great insight, great knowledge of what is happening, and that's why we go to him on a weekly basis, especially those of us who are interested in Bible prophecy. David, great to have you with us this week in Israel. Mike Pompeo, the Secretary of State from the United States, visited Israel and then was going to go from there to many of the Arab states that may well be partners with the Jewish state of Israel in a peace accord of some type. Example, the United Arab Emirates and Israel's peace accord. But uh, the Pompeo team was looking forward to being able to discuss this whole situation with the leaders of Israel and then go out and meet the leaders of many of the Arab nations that may be a partner with Israel as well in the future. Talk to me about the Pompeo visit. And by the way, what are your thoughts? You're a longtime journalist in that region of the world. Are there other Arab nations that may come on board like the UAE did? Well, first I'll answer that, Jimmy. Uh, Yes, indeed, there are five or six, actually. We mentioned that last week, I think, and there are continuing signs that they are interested 
in uh, pursuing this route. Uh, they did talk about it with uh, Mike Pompeo during his regional visit. Of course, uh, Bahrain and other allies of um, the UAE are, are on top of it. And Jimmy, by the way, the UAE issued some scathing attacks against the regional opponents of the reconciliation with Israel uh, in a series of tweets to the U.S. Embassy site in the UAE uh, on uh, Thursday, and they condemned in particular Turkey for its staunch uh, opposition to the accord, also Iran and Hezbollah. They named Hezbollah and Hamas. They said, all of you are just wanting to pursue misery and continuing strife and continuing unrest and upheaval. They said, basically, get over it. The Jewish state is here. I'm ad-libbing here, but this is essentially what they said. It's here, and we've got to recognize it's here and deal with it, and it will be to all of our benefits. Well, that's exactly, of course, Mike Pompeo's attitude, his argument, I should say, with the other leaders in his attempts to broaden this appeal. And I think it will go further, Jimmy, but... As we mentioned last week, though, the king prize here would be Saudi Arabia, but because of their holding the religious holy sites of Islam primarily, they feel they have to be a little slower and more careful in that way. David, there's a report out that the United States is planning a Middle Eastern regional summit because the wheels of peace have begun to turn. Is that a possibility? Could there be? a Middle Eastern regional summit on peace with the Arab states and the Jewish state of Israel. There could, but the Israelis really right now are not pushing for that because they are dealing with their internal political crisis and coronavirus continues to spread. It's actually first time hit the Gaza Strip this week, and they have a lockdown going on there. But it certainly is an American goal, and it's not just President Trump. Uh, Joe Biden said he would pursue the same sort of thing. But, Jimmy, we have the regional instability going on. We had clashes on the northern border between Lebanon and Israel this week with Hezbollah shooting at an Israeli soldier, a sniper. Fortunately, they didn't uh, kill him or hit him, but that sparked some action. We have a Shia-Sunni conflict growing in Lebanon. We had clashes on Thursday, a four-hour battle uh, south of Beirut, uh, so that is growing. And then we had a terror attack in Israel. We had uh, more balloons from the Gaza Strip into the southern Israel, and Israel responding with airstrikes. So all of this military action going on along the edges mostly sponsored by Iran, and really until that situation, Iran's desire to destroy Israel, to wipe it out, to arm and weaponize the whole area, until that's dealt with, any regional peace deal or accord is going to be rather, um, not meaningless, but it won't uh, really bring a final peace, because that is the main war issue that we're dealing with, and there's no chance, no chance of getting Iran or even now Turkey, Hamas, Hezbollah on board, any sort of a peace train. Well, talk to me just briefly about that uh, activity there at the northern border of Israel with Hezbollah. I understand the Israeli Air Force launched airstrikes against them. Is this heating up enough that that could break out into a full-fledged war, David? Well, it could, Jimmy, and it was uh, right near Kibbutz Menara. I think you know that area of Upper Galilee and the hills above the Hula Valley. Beautiful area, but right along the Lebanese border, I lived just below that kibbutz, and we got shells in those days from the PLO. Well, now it's Hezbollah, the Shiite militia, uh, striking out. 
And it seems like Nasrallah, the head of Hezbollah, wants to keep his vow to avenge the killing of a senior Hezbollah activist in Syria last month by an Israeli airstrike. And they're saying that once he does kill a few Israeli soldiers, he'll say the deal is done, but they're going to continue to try to strike out in the meantime. But the Israelis uh, say, you know, he's got to be careful, Nasrallah, right now, because the growing opposition to Hezbollah in Lebanon is strong. And it's now pretty well believed by everybody that Hezbollah was behind the huge August 4th explosion that wiped out a third of Beirut, basically, a third of the people homeless, uh, that it's been involved in all sorts of other nefarious actions. So Hezbollah's internal position in Lebanon is very much um, up in the air right now. So if they get into a war with Israel, they may find themselves out entirely in the end. And the uh, strategy, we're told, Jimmy, by the way, from Israel is to, uh, if there's a major conflict, to drive the citizens of the south to the north right away to quickly move them out of the area so that they can go in and really clean out the Hezbollah outposts that are in the area. But they did strike back after that sniper attack, they did hit at Hezbollah positions in the area there, but it wasn't nearly as large as it could have been. They say had an Israeli soldier been hit and killed, it would have been a much larger response. You mentioned Turkey just a moment ago, David. Tayyip Erdogan has produced a very professionally produced video, and in it he is saying he wants control of Jerusalem. What can you tell us about that? He wants control of the old Ottoman Empire, Jimmy, it looks like. You've been discussing the situation in Libya. We had naval exercises in the eastern Mediterranean this week between Turkey and uh, Greece, both holding internal exercises, but right next to each other. Tensions are very high between those two countries. He wants to reassert himself as the caliph of the Ottoman Empire. And, of course, Jerusalem was one of the hearts of that empire, one of the centers of it, and uh, he wants that back. He's being very open about that, very blatant about it, and this alliance between him and Iran is extremely dangerous, extremely powerful. These two countries combined have military forces that uh, outdo Israel's, actually, and of course, Turkey being a NATO member, they have a lot of Western weaponry, too, American-made weapons. So it's a very serious situation, and the Israelis are watching it very, very closely. But Erdogan, clearly an enemy of the Jewish state. In the month of September, very close now at hand, there's going to be the three fall feast, the Feast of Trumpets, then Yom Kippur, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Of course, Rosh Hashanah on the same day as the Feast of Trumpets. And the Sanhedrin, the 70 wise Jewish scholars who were responsible for putting the temple up on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem, they have petitioned the Israeli government to allow them to blow the shofar there on the Temple Mount on Feast of Trumpets and on Rosh Hashanah. Is that a possibility or is it going to be shut down? It will probably be shut down, Jimmy. I'm sorry to say because I think, you know, it's just blowing a shofar and it's an ancient Jewish tradition and it's in the Bible and it's very important to religious Jews that that take place. Not necessarily there, but certainly the blowing of the shofar is a center, as you know, of the celebrations and the commemorations during the, the feast. 
So um, we'll see, but tensions are very, very high. Uh, I didn't mention six rockets were fired from the Gaza Strip early Friday into southern Israel near Nahaoz and Alumin, two towns there. Nobody hit, but there are a lot of reasons for this whole situation to escalate. And, of course, uh, the radical Palestinians would take such action as a... Uh, provocation, and they would respond in kind. So I think the government of Israel will try to prevent it, but let's see what happens. We will see what happens. It is key for the future, prophetically, as we look at the Middle East. And that's why we bring David Dolan to this broadcast table with his Middle East News update. Great report, David. Thank you so much. We'll talk again next week. You're welcome, Jimmy, and God bless We're going to take a break. When we come back, Winky Madad's standing by. We're going to get more into the Pompeo visit and what actually did take place, what some of the possibilities are there in the Middle East. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His scriptures for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Hi, everybody. Jimmy D. Young. Welcome back to Broadcast Central and the weekend broadcast for Prophecy Today. So glad to have you along. Ask for 90 minutes early on. This is moving into the second half hour. One more half hour after this, and you'll have completed the 90 minutes. I'm so glad that you could join us. We've got lots of information, especially in this half hour. Winky Madad standing by. We're going to be talking also with Dr. Don DeYoung. He's an astronomer. This week, three asteroids came pretty close to hitting Earth, and there's a special election asteroid that's on its way in, It will come near the Earth and maybe even come to hit the Earth one day before the national elections. Well, we'll talk with Don about that. Keep the dial set right where it is. But now, as I promised, we're going to Winky Madad. Winky, this week you had a visit from the Secretary of State, Mike Pompeo, and he was there in Israel in an effort to expand the normalization with the Arab nations. Do you think that this is an effective use of his time, and is it a viable possibility that he may, and along with others like Jared Kushner, be able to develop another Arab nation who's willing to normalize relations, put together some type of a peace accord with the state of Israel? Well, Jimmy, I wasn't privy to their conversations, but let's take a step back and remember that at the end of January, President Trump proposed a peace to prosperity plan, which has gone nowhere 
with the Palestinian Authority. As a result of that, another opening came, as we saw, with the United Arab Emirates, leading perhaps to one or two other Arab nations coming closer. And the way things developed was not 100% in the best narrow interests, if I put it that way, of Mr. Netanyahu and his political and ideological outlook. And I'm specifically referring to something we discussed previously on what we call the issue of sovereignty or applying Israeli law to portions of Judea and Samaria. This recent UAE agreement depends on Israel suspending the application of sovereignty. And I'm sure that after that issue popped up, and the next one, which was the sale of F-35s, possibly to the United Arab Emirates, Mr. Pompeo felt he had to be a personal, face-to-face meeting with Netanyahu to find out exactly how this relationship between peace, America, and Israel is going to proceed on all fronts. I did uh, have opportunity to read in the Israeli media about the possibility that the Temple Mount could be used as a trading card for possibly developing some type of peace relationship between the Saudis, Saudi Arabia, and Israel itself. Is that a viable possibility, or will they shut that down from the outstart? Well, Jim, I think there's a little bit of hype on the issue of the Temple Mount, because already Jared Kushner referred to it in the January statement, as did President Trump. And once again, basically they're saying that the status quo remains in place, which is not really anything uh, traumatic. It just means that, once again, Jews will be second-class citizens on the Temple Mount. We will not be able to read from the Bible, Psalms, or any sort of prayer, but that's nothing new. We've discussed that many times here on the program. What the twist was that I think set off a little bit of excitement was that I think it was President Trump mentioned uh, that Muslims from outside of Israel with former states that had no relations could now come and visit the Temple Mount. In other words, once peace is in place and travel restrictions are reduced and passports are recognized, they can come in. But again, I'm sorry to contradict the president on this, but we've had Arabs from Morocco, from, from Saudi Arabia, who visited the place. So it's not completely unusual. It'll be nice for the Arabs, for the Muslims, but it doesn't change the status of the Temple Mount. I myself had an op-ed in the Jerusalem Post bemoaning the fact that, once again, the Temple Mount and its Jews are left behind, and it will be, again, one of the, as you said, the prices paid for the peace agreement to go on with the UAE in the sense of the status quo remains in place. Let me get off the political as it relates to uh, the Temple Mount and also the possibility of normalization with other Arab nations and go to the fact that Mike Pompeo, and he said that he did it as a private citizen, he addressed the Republican National Convention here in America from... Jerusalem itself, and that just thrilled my heart to see 
what is God's plan for Jerusalem and knowing what that is from God's prophetic word and realizing it's also the center of the earth, Ezekiel 5, 5. There was Mike Pompeo speaking to the national audience here in America from the city of Jerusalem. Now, I did hear some concern uh, that the prime minister might have been upset about that because he thought that the Trump administration might be using Jerusalem to be able to get reelected. Any comment on that? But wasn't it thrilling that he was there in Jerusalem to address a national audience here in America? Well, Jimmy, there are two issues there. The first, of course, is a internal American aspect about taxpayers' dollars being used for, to fly Pompeo here and then having to make a partisan political speech. But I understood that he had lawyers that went over that, and that there was no problem there. Uh, and I don't think the prime minister would be upset. I mean, he's absolutely delighted for the past year and a half, going on two years already or more, that the President Trump has recognized Israeli sovereignty over the city of Jerusalem in the sense that it's its capital. So I presume that Netanyahu would like to have President Trump, Vice President Pence, and Pompeo come here and make messages that would even strengthen the, 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 the message that America, as the leading political, military, economic, and spiritual country in the world today, is linked up with Jerusalem, as you said, which the Jewish people, and I think all those who read the Bible know, as you said, is the center of the universe is a very special place, a place of, of worship, a place of faith, a place of hope, and a place of redemption in the future. I've got to ask one more question of you, Winky, before I let you go. I was reading a comment from Yehuda Glick. Now, he used to be the executive director of the Temple Institute, the people preparing to build the next temple. Then he became a member of the Israeli Knesset. He has his own organization promoting Jewish visits to the Temple Mount. But he made this statement, and he compared Solomon's Temple, which was the first temple on the Temple Mount about 3,000 years ago. It followed a peace agreement with Tyre. That's the biblical name for modern-day Lebanon. And he said that peace today with the Arab states may be setting a time when they could rebuild the Temple. Do you have any comments on what he said? And is that a viable possibility as well? Well, Jimmy, uh, the program is designed to discuss biblical prophecy. And if we go back to the Bible, we see that uh, the king of Tyre, Hiram, engaged in commercial enterprises with the kingdom of, of Israel at the time, in which, if I'm not mistaken, uh, trees and other implements were uh, imported from Lebanon, and certain cities, uh, I think it was 12 cities, in the north of Israel, their taxes, as we understand it, I'm going beyond the literal uh, text of the Bible, with how the rabbis interpret it, the, the taxes, the income of these cities were given over to Hiram in exchange, is basically a, a, a form of ancient uh, commercial interest in, in the pursuit of peace. So there is a precedent for this. And as long as Jewish rights are recognized and the possibility of rebuilding the Temple Mount and until then uh, at least Jews praying there become part of a peace process with normalized relations with the Arab world, I'm all for it. And I think a lot of people would be for it. And maybe that would be a better idea 
than some of what we've seen develop over the past few weeks. We'll stay on top of this story with Winky Madai because Winky is capable of speaking to all the issues I bring to his attention. We always really enjoy the conversation when we can get together. Winky, thank you so much for your insight, your input to us. We appreciate it. Indeed, we will have another conversation in the very near future. Jimmy, thank you very much for having me on the program, and goodbye to you and our listeners. Very important conversation with Winky Madad, focusing on the visit by the Secretary of State Mike Pompeo to Jerusalem and the fact that he was able to address the Republican National Convention from the city of Jerusalem. Again, I have to say that was a thrill as far as I am concerned. Well, we're going to change from the location of the Middle East to the European continent and, of course, a focus on the European Union. We do that with our broadcast partner, John Rood. John, let me get underway. I have heard a report that the European Union is giving millions of dollars to protect the Palestinian identity of Jerusalem. What can you tell us about this story? Yeah, the EU has always been a large supporter of the Palestinian Authority in every way. We saw how the EU had supported the textbooks, which were uh, not giving the true situation, of course. And now we see that there's NGOs, non-governmental organizations, that are funded by the EU, as you mentioned, five and a half million euros, so six million dollars to promote the Palestinian identity in Jerusalem. So this is a specific example which just continues the same story that uh, the EU is completely one-sided on its support of the Palestinian Authority. You know, when Israel was in the situation for the safety of the Jewish quarter between 1948-1967, there was no EU funding to work to keep that identity. So it's a continuation and just another facet of the one-sidedness of the European Union. John, why do you think that is the case? Why is it that the European Union is so pro-Palestinian and sometimes seemingly anti-Israel? Well, that's a great question. I actually went up to one of the European members of Parliament, asked him that very question. He said, I don't know. I'm going to mention that in a session. I do think the answer is partially that the EU uses the Middle East as leverage so that they, in one sense, don't become irrelevant, and that they can do something that opposes directly the uh, traditional stands of the United States, which also appears for them to take a, a, a stand of power uh, to make themselves you know, more significant. And yet, there seems to be a, an underlying flow to the entire thing, which is very much uh, not for the support of Israel, even though they say Israel is a strategic partner, there's no strategic partnership. Well, let me ask you about that. I understand that there are some European Union members who are saying it is possible for there to be a genuine strategic partnership between the EU and Israel. Can you give us any more details on that? That's interesting in the terms that people have noted that the current system has failed, and so therefore, how can we move ahead? As we just discussed, there are several areas where the EU can use leverage in the Middle East, 
And uh, as we see geopolitically, there's always a situation if there's a vacuum, then other uh, forces come in. So if the EU doesn't become stronger in its uh, alliance with Israel, then we see other forces, Russia, China, so forth, large global influences would come in and fill that vacuum. Uh, in the past, the EU has the position of, you know, just being in proximity of having influence with Israel, but it has been very, as we've already noted, one-sided and very weak. They totally describe Israel as a strategic partner, but as we've said, you know, where is the partnership? Uh, 35% of Israel think the EU is a foe and only 27 consider uh, the European Union a friend. Well, that's interesting because that certainly is setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. If you understand God's plan for the Jewish nation in the future and the reality that uh, the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire certainly has to be the European Union. That's all in the future, but we're reporting the political now because it does set the prophetic in place to be fulfilled. One of the nations in the area of the European Union that we've talked about, howbeit they are not a member of the European Union, but they are partners in the European Union in NATO. That would be Turkey. And uh, Turkey has just made some purchases of uh, Russian stealth fighters. Could that be the end of NATO? Because that's what NATO has brought about for for the protection of the European Union against Russia. Now they're getting these military jets, these stealth fighters from Russia. Could that be the end of NATO, as I ask? Turkey has taken very strong stands. It's not only the fact that they would be aligning with Russia, because sometimes they actually take positions that would oppose Russia. It's that Turkey is actually rising up in its, in its own right, in its own name. So when they had purchased the uh, S-400 missile system from Russia, well, that, that responded with quite a bit of warning flags from Washington. There's even talk that they may upgrade that system. Now with the talk that they would uh, continue and then to purchase Russian uh, fighter jets, which are advanced uh, fifth-generation fighter jets, uh, that almost seems inconceivable from a NATO country. The U.S. F-35, the state-of-the-art fighter jet, is uh, built to a great extent in Turkey. So Turkey is beginning to uh, leverage uh, some of this situation, which could really be a spillover because they're in a great turmoil, as we know right now, in the situation in the Mediterranean Sea with Greece. John, in the past we have talked a lot about Brexit. That would be the exit by Great Britain from the European Union. We haven't talked much about it lately, and in fact, the European Union envoys have taken it off of their agenda because of the stalled situation. Exit's not quite a done deal. I mean, they're out. Uh, they're only now 27 instead of 28 member states. But talk to me about the fact that uh, they took Brexit all the way off the table, not even talking about it now. <laughs> That's something that Brexit, of course, you know, was a little bit like the Y2K approach, where everyone predicted this ultimate disaster, and of course it was just simply a blip on the screen. 
the United Kingdom it does need to have some type of closing deal by the end of the year. And so the idea is that that would be prepared and ready for the EU Council mid-October. But uh, true to form, it appears that that's not going to happen. And so negotiations in several areas, migration, security, dispute settling, human rights, especially fishing quotas. And, uh, you know, I've mentioned before, I've been in the fishing committee of the European Union, and it's really heated. So the reasons why the United Kingdom left are still, in some extent, there are still tensions of that with the EU, and uh, they're just dropping it for now. So it's possible, then, that uh, Britain, in terms of all these other issues, would have a no deal after all. Yes, and that's the story that we're going to stay on top of because of the significance of the slimming down of the member states of the European Union, getting down to Daniel's prediction of 10 states or nations or whatever. John, thank you so very much for the report. It's always key to have you with us here as a broadcast partner. We'll talk again next week. Thank you, and uh, thank you for the prophetic insights. Absolutely true. Very important conversation with John Rood. He covers the European Union. And he covers, actually, the political activities of the EU because all of those activities are setting the stage for the prophetic scenario that is found in God's Word as it relates to the European Union, which both John and I believe would be the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire. Well, right now we're going to switch to a good friend, a broadcast partner with us, Dr. Don DeYoung. He is a scientist and astronomer. He has been in charge of the science department for Grace College in Winona Lake, Indiana for a number of years, recently retiring, but really not going away. And we're so thrilled he's around so that we can have conversations with him, especially this week in light of what we have been reading about asteroids who will be attacking or at least coming near our planet of Earth. Don, I want to talk about the consistent, near-consistent bombardment of these space rocks buzzing our planet three or four this week. But before we do that, talk to me, what is an asteroid? Well, Jimmy, asteroids are part of the solar system. That would be the sun, the planets, the moons. And then you also have many smaller objects. They're, they're rocks although the size of a mountain, usually, and uh, they are circling the sun. There's a lot of them out there between the uh, orbits of uh, Mars and Jupiter, and uh, once in a while some of them come close to us as well. These are all objects orbiting the sun, similar to the Earth. Some of them come around uh, more frequently than others. Well, are these created items, Don? We know that The Lord Jesus Christ himself created on the fourth day of creation, Genesis chapter 1. The moon, the sun, and the stars also. What about the asteroids? Uh, Yes, we're, we're not exactly sure of their history. They could have been created much as we see them. Or there could have been some kind of collisions in Old Testament times. Uh, some of them look like fragments of uh, a larger object that got knocked to pieces. There are like a 100,000 asteroids. I guess if you'd bring those all together, you could have had an early planet. 
But like comets and moons, I would expect that asteroids are part of the original creation. They're just a great variety of objects in deep space and closer to home. Just a few moments ago, I opened this conversation with the statement, the near-consistent bombardment of these space rocks buzzing our own planet of Earth. Two or three this last week, and one, I think, coming up on Monday, and then another one in the near future, which we'll talk about. Is this a dangerous situation? Is there a possibility that uh, they could indeed impact the Earth? Well, we probably get hit by about 500 of these asteroid-type objects a year. Most of them would go into the oceans and never be seen. And then again, some are, are found on the ground as fragments. If we have a, a collision with the Earth, um, yes, there's an explosion, there's a crater, and there are some craters on the Earth, often in out-of-the-way desert places, like even a famous one down in Arizona. But the typical uh, news story that there could be a large asteroid that would um, destroy humanity or uh, break up the Earth, that's certainly not God's plan. Uh, these asteroids, they are in orbit around the sun. Uh, some can be attracted toward the Earth with, uh, with our gravity. Actually, uh, Jimmy, most of them burn up completely. If fragments do last to hit the ground, then we call them meteorites. Um, and so uh, in, a, in a local area, certainly there can be some damage, but not on a global scale. I understand that on this next Monday, there is a possibility of an asteroid that possibly will hit the Earth. Could that at all be catastrophic? Yes, we uh, do detect these asteroids, usually not too far ahead of time because they're rather small, but we attract their orbits, uh, and uh, then we uh, try to uh, determine just how close they'll come to the Earth. The ones in uh, recent weeks here will miss the Earth by millions of miles. Uh, there's a lot of empty space out there, and so there's plenty of room, and so uh, there's no danger from these, but it always seems to make big publicity as if we're about to get clobbered, but it's not so. Don, I've got to ask you, and I don't mean to be political at all, but uh, we're talking about uh, the asteroids out there in space. But everyone's heard about the Election Day asteroid, which could actually hit the Earth, or will it burn up actually when it gets into Earth's atmosphere so that uh, as it gets closer, it will be no harm to the Earth. But this is supposed to happen on the day before the election for president, November the 3rd, it probably going to burn up, or could it cause some type of a problem and somehow hinder the election? Yes, that is interesting schedule-wise, that uh, as best we can determine, it'll come close to us on election week. That actually, um, the election day asteroid is a small object, about uh, probably six feet in diameter, and it would certainly uh, burn up if it would come close to the Earth, traveling through our atmosphere. It would vaporize and be gone and actually just kind of put in a light show, a streak across across the sky. So that actually is a small one. We have been hit by objects uh, considerably larger in, in history. This is so interesting, a light show you mentioned. I know that indeed both the Democratic National Convention and the Republican National Convention did have some light shows in celebration for what they are proposing as their candidates are running for President of the United States. That would be an interesting light show if it did happen. You know, I only bring this to the attention of our listeners and get a hold of you, Don, 
because every time something like this happens, everybody seems to think, well, it could hit the earth. The news media is talking about it. I felt like we need to have the truth revealed through our conversation. So, Don, thank you so much for helping us understand what an asteroid is and the possibilities that may come from one of these asteroids hitting, colliding with the Earth in the future. But indeed, there will be those in the future, as we're thinking about that, found in the book of Revelation, Wormwood, and others that will cause some major problems to the Earth, will it not? Well, yes, we do know that in the end times, things really happen in the skies. It talks about the heavens being rolled up, stars falling, and uh, wormwood, uh, uh, sort of a punishment object falling to the into the seas. We're not sure what that is, but it reminds us that God's in control and uh, can wrap up our present situation when he wants and bring on a new heavens and new earth. And it's not randomness, even these asteroids. All these objects and activities are in God's hand. In God's hands. I love that phrase. And of course, I've got to tell you, last night, just before I went to sleep, I looked out the window and there was an opening in the trees outside my window. There I saw the moon, another evidence of God's glory, his handiwork. Always a joy to look up into the heavenlies. And we'd love to have Don DeYoung come along and help us as we do look into the heavenlies. Don, thank you so much for the time you've given me today. Hope to have another conversation real soon. Thank you, Jimmy. Glad to join you. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we've got one more broadcast partner, David James. We're going to be talking about the biblical understanding of how the Republican National Convention took place. You don't want to miss it. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. We move now into our last half hour. In a moment, David James will come to the broadcast table. We'll have our weekly conversation and focus on the Republican National Convention. We compared last week the vice presidential pick for the Democratic Party. This time we'll talk about Mike Pence, who is the vice president, and we'll continue on into the next four years should the Republican presidential candidate Donald Trump be elected. We're going to be fair and balanced as we look at both of the conventions over the last two weeks. Well, that's upcoming in just a moment. I have a poll question I would love for you to answer, if you will. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. On the left-hand column, you'll scroll down and you'll find this question. Should we as Christians make our decision on whom we will vote for, both in the presidential election and all other political positions as well, on where the candidate stands on abortion, homosexuality, and the state of Israel, and then all other issues? That's the poll question. Go to my website, prophecytoday.com. There you can answer that poll question. We now bring to this microphone David James. It's that time of the week for our weekly conversation. I actually really enjoy having this opportunity to interact with David James. We look at an issue 
that needs to have a biblical perspective for me and for the body of Christ to understand as it relates to this particular issue. David does the research. I ask the questions. I have the easy part, David, the tough part. And David, I'm so grateful that you're available to be able to do this. Uh, Let me begin by saying we received a couple of emails related to last week's conversation about Joe Biden's vice presidential pick, Kamala Harris. One of the listeners taking us to task for what we had to say, and the other asking questions about voting. Give us the details on those two emails. Well, Jimmy, sometimes we get some interesting reactions to our discussions, and I think most people appreciate what we have to say, but, you know, we can't please everyone all the time, and I'm not sure that that's our, really our goal anyway. This week we received an email from a listener who wrote this. After the reference to Harris's ancestor owning slaves and other things that really have little to nothing to do about her as a potential VP, you broke it down to say one presidential candidate is pro-abortion and anti-Israel and the other is anti-abortion and pro-Israel, so is it really a decision? Then he went on to say, what a terrible, oversimplified way to sum up this election and shame on you for making the narcissistic, lying adulterer who does the bare minimum to pander to Christians and white nationalists alike out to be the best option by sharing only negatives about his opposition. And he also said, so shame on you for projecting the idea that Christians and Trump's values align. So we'll get to that in a moment, but, uh, you know, with the Republican National Convention taking place this week and the Democrat Convention last week, we thought it would be good to discuss both parties and the candidates at the top of the tickets and where they stand. And I did find it interesting that apart from Kamala Harris's background, we stuck with the political and social issues and and didn't make it personal. While this particular listener really only brought up character issues in relation to Trump and said nothing about policy. Well, David, then let's uh, think about the matter of character issues as they relate to the current president and our listeners point about Christian values. Well, first, Jimmy, I would say it's a legitimate point and an important question in general. And second, I would never present myself as an apologist for Donald Trump, and I, and I don't think you would either. Uh, I've often said I don't like some things that he has said, and I'm less happy about his tone and, and how he says some things. And I would go this far as to say I agree with our listener that he can come across maybe as a somewhat narcissistic and maybe it's pride and he certainly has past problems but there are also some things that I think need to be considered when it comes to the president's character one I would say that his character is no better or worse than some of his critics have knowingly voted for or unknowingly voted for by voting a straight ticket. You know, with many politicians, we only find out after the fact what they're like because they've uh, learned to hide who they are. And many of the moral issues he's most sharply criticized for are at least 10 years and sometimes 20 to 30 years in the past. And and I don't know if this is true, but some say he's become a born-again believer in the last four years. 
and he's honestly not in the best place to grow spiritually in that particular position. And concerning character issues that the president is often criticized for, like being misogynistic and racist and xenophobic, you know, I was inspired by watching the women and the blacks and the immigrants at the Republican National Convention this week and the things they had to say, and many of them are conservative Christians. So we're not primarily focusing on President Trump this week, although I'm sure we'll get to that more in the future. But I just wanted to address that email a little bit. As we've already mentioned, David, uh, last week we discussed Kamala Harris as Biden's vice presidential pick. And so even though Mike Pence has been the vice president for almost four years now, he's just one heartbeat away from the presidency. Therefore, I think it might be helpful to know more about Mike Pence. Well, it's interesting. Mike Pence is actually from my hometown of Columbus, Indiana, and he's a year younger than I am, so he's 61. We went to the same high school, but uh, being a year behind me in a school with over 1,200 students, I didn't know him back in those days. He has a bachelor's degree in history, and he has a law degree from the Indiana University, Purdue University Extension in Indianapolis. He volunteered for the Democratic Party in 1976 and voted for Jimmy Carter in 1980. So he was a Democrat early on. He was raised Catholic, but became a born-again believer in college, and he started a shift toward the right which he attributes to Ronald Reagan's what has been called common-sense conservatism. But since there's usually some linkage between political, social, and religious conservatism, I would say that becoming an evangelical believer was almost certainly a major factor in that shift. And that's not to say that there aren't evangelicals who are Democrats. Pence began a private practice after graduating from law school. He unsuccessfully ran for Congress in 1988 and 1990, and he began doing radio in 1988, that same year as his first run for Congress, and by 1992, he had a daily talk show, but he quit radio in 1999 to run for Congress again, and that time... He was successful, and he continued in the House of Representatives until 2012 when he was elected as Indiana's 50th governor. Very interesting background, a broadcaster and now the vice president. And in fact, even though the vice president's role is much more limited than that of the president in terms of both policy and influence, I think it would probably be good to discuss where Mike Pence stands on some of the same issues that we discussed last week concerning Kamala Harris. Well, I think we could summarize it just by saying that his views are essentially the opposite of Kamala Harris's in most areas. First, Pence is a fiscal conservative, and as governor, he added to the $2 billion budget surplus that he inherited, even while introducing tax reform. He oversaw the passing of a Religious Freedom Restoration Act in Indiana, which allowed certain business decisions to be defended in court based on religious convictions, while Harris has tried to undermine the federal version of that bill, which was passed in 19. 1993. Back in 2019, Joe Biden commented that Pence was a decent guy, but after Biden got pushed back from the LGBT community, uh, he walked back that statement. And Harris has also said that she st- stands against almost everything Pence stands for in this particular area. 
As governor, Pence signed into law a bill that banned certain abortion procedures while placing restrictions on providers, while Harris holds exactly the opposite view on abortions. Uh, Both of them, Harris and Pence, disagree sharply concerning U.S. Education Secretary Betsy DeVos and her guidance for the country. Israel does seem to be one of the few areas where they seem to somewhat agree. Harris's husband is Jewish, and she says she supports Israel, and she has argued that Israel should never be a partisan issue, and even though she supports a two-state solution, she has condemned anti-Israel bias at the U.N. So my comment last week about being pro-abortion and anti-Israel, that was a general statement, not not specifically directed at her concerning Israel. And then on August 12th, USA Today reported that Mike Pence said that Biden and the Democrat Party have been overtaken by the radical left and are promising higher taxes, open borders, socialized medicine, and abortion on demand. So those are pretty stark contrasts. I look forward to that debate between the two who could potentially be vice president of the United States Senator Harris and Vice President Pence. Hey, David, I wanted to go back to the matter of character of people in office and those running for office. I've heard you make the point that sometimes we need to look past the individual to the platform for their party as we as voters come to a decision on who we're going to vote for. Right, Jimmy. Uh, And I think that's a point that's often lost in the midst of campaigns. We do need to know where a candidate stands, uh, but we really are voting for the platform as well. So we need to compare the platforms that candidates represent. Uh, One thing about a party platform is that it provides a general philosophy that someone personally identifies with. So there's a broad spectrum of ideologies that extends from liberalism on one side with radical Marxism at the far end of that side, to conservatism on the other with radical fascism at the far end of that side. And in our largely two-party system, Democrats tend to occupy the liberal side of the spectrum, and Republicans tend to be on the conservative side of the spectrum, and and this would include both social and fiscal components. But they do overlap in the middle in both parties, but I would say that voting independent in, in our present situation is more of a personal statement than affecting the election in most cases. Another thing is the party platform also tends to keep those who have extreme views from gaining too much traction, unless the whole party shifts dramatically, and that usually doesn't happen in one election cycle. And and as much as we may try to avoid politics, the fact is that someone's theology and moral values tend to correlate largely with where someone is along the political spectrum. Now, there are exceptions, but that's a a general rule, I would say. Okay, David. Now, thinking about the platforms of both the Democrats and the Republicans, we've seen this laid out over the last couple of weeks as both parties laid out their vision for America at their national conventions. Can you take a moment now and briefly compare and contrast the two platforms as believers think about voting this coming November? Sure. And and before I get to that, uh, let me say just one other thing about voting for individuals versus platforms, and that is staying away from the polls because we don't want to vote for the lesser of two evils. That also means not voting for all the other candidates down ballot, and so that means giving up all policy influence. Democrats aren't only more liberal politically and socially, they tend to be more liberal than Republicans across the board, which includes theologically and morally. Democrats tend to favor bigger government and socialist 
type programs, while Republicans tend to favor smaller government, less regulation of our daily lives, and allowing the free market to regulate the economy. Uh, Democrats tend to favor decreased military and law enforcement spending, while Republicans tend to favor more. Democrats tend to strongly favor gay rights and same-sex marriage, while Republicans tend to favor traditional marriage. Democrats tend to support undocumented immigration, while Republicans tend to favor strong immigration laws. Republicans tend to be far more supportive of Israel's right to the land than Democrats. But as with each point, this is a generalization. It's not always easy to sort out, but in this country, we the people are the government, and we have a God-given voice. Very informative a couple of statements there, David, laying out the platforms for both the Democrats and the Republicans. Key, I do believe in being able to come to that very important decision to give your vote to one or the other of these candidates. And by the way, let me just suggest First Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. We need to pray for all of these candidates. They will be, and they have been, leaders in higher authority, which the Bible commands us to pray for. So I would suggest we pray for them, even as they are in the process of running for that leadership role. David, thank you so much for your research, your input. We appreciate it. We'll have another conversation next week. Thanks, Jimmy. I'll look forward to it. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I'm going to bring all together everything our broadcast partners had to say, open up the Bible, and take a look at the book. It's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hey everyone, this is Dave James with the Alliance for Biblical Integrity. You hear me each week discussing current theological issues with Jimmy DeYoung on the Prophecy Today weekend broadcast. We founded the Alliance for Biblical Integrity because we saw a need for an apologetics and discernment ministry that would be an important resource for local churches, schools, and ministry organizations that face ever-changing theological challenges in today's world. I teach many different courses and seminars in the United States and around the world and can tailor the seminars for Sunday schools, Bible studies, and church services, and the courses for weekend conferences of 6 to 10 hours. For more information, you can go to the ABI website at biblicalintegrity.org. That's one word, biblicalintegrity.org, and click on Courses and Seminars on the main menu. You can also contact me personally through the contact page on the ABI website. I look forward to hearing from you. Every believer needs to understand Bible prophecy. Whether you're a novice or a student, we are here to help you. Just visit prophecytoday.com and click on the link for the Prophecy Bookstore. There you will find a large selection of CD sets, DVDs, and books for the Bible prophecy student written by Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and other prominent scholars. While you're there, be sure to check out Dr. DeYoung's latest series called Presidents, Politics, and Prophecy. This series examines how God has used human leaders in general and specifically the last seven U.S. presidents to set the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. This was shot on location in Washington, D.C. and is available on DVD or as a 10-hour audio series on CD. Be sure to check back often for special deals. You can visit prophecytoday.com and click on Bookstore or you can go directly to prophecybookstore.com. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. 
Today on Prophecy Today Weekend, we had some great reports from our broadcast partners. These men who focused on different regions and different issues around the world helped us to understand the real importance of what is happening in our world today. Now, these reports also give us insight into how current events are actually setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled in the very near future. Should you have had to miss any of these reports, you can hear them by going to my website, prophecytoday.com, then go to PTRN. Prophecy Today Radio Network is where you're looking for, and there you can go to it and listen to these reports at your convenience. If you do find them and can send a link to a member of your family or friends who might be interested at all in Bible prophecy, or even if they're not, you can use this opportunity to introduce them to the prophetic word of God and how it is seemingly at the point of fulfillment in the very, very near future. Again, that address, prophecytoday.com. Go to PTRN. That's where you'll find all of my broadcast partners' reports to me today, all archived and ready for you to listen to them. Now, if you will, let me rehearse the broadcast partners' reports and give you my prophetic perspective. Ken Timmerman and his number one report was the Turkish president, Tayyip Erdogan, who has produced a video that indicates he wants to take control of the city of Jerusalem. This is appropriate because he has a desire, Erdogan, to revive the old Ottoman Empire. He wants to be the pan-Islamic leader of this world. This would all fit into his plan if he did control the city of Jerusalem. Remember, the Ottoman Empire did that. In fact, you can look at the retaining walls there around the old city where the Temple Mount is located. They were built by Turkish leaders in the 16th century. And in addition to that, of course, Turkey is mentioned in Bible prophecy. The book of Ezekiel, chapter 38, verses 2 and 6, where you read Meshach Tubal, Gomer and Tagarma, that is modern-day Turkey. David Dolan has each week for us a Middle East news update. To those of us who are students of Bible prophecy, this is a key report from David. He talked about Secretary of State Mike Pompeo's visit to Israel and then to the other Arab nations in an effort to try to bring another Arab state on board with the normalization of Israel and the Arab states' relationship so that there could be a peace agreement. That was Pompeo's plan in his visit to expand this peace process in the Middle East and even calling for a United States-sponsored peace conference between Israel and her Arab neighbors. We do know what the Word of God talks about. There will be peace agreements on the table, Daniel 9:27, that when the Antichrist shows up, he will confirm those peace treaties. Just this side note, 
While Pompeo was visiting in Jerusalem, he addressed the Republican National Convention from Jerusalem, which was a thrill to me. You've got to remember Ezekiel 5.5, Jerusalem, the center of the earth, Psalm 132, where Jesus said, I have chosen Jerusalem to dwell among my people forever. And of course, Zechariah 6.12 says that's where he will come back and build his temple, that millennial kingdom temple where he will rule and reign forever. Winky Madad also gave us some insight to the Pompeo visit to Israel, but we talked about a comment that Yehuda Glick, Yehuda Glick was the former executive director of the Temple Institute, the people who are preparing to build that next temple and training all of the priests and replicating the implements that will be used in it. But Yehuda Glick was also a member of the Knesset. Now he is drawing attention of the world on the Temple Mount and encouraging everyone to visit the Temple Mount. He compared, which is what I had Winky talk about, that when the first temple, Solomon's temple, was built, it followed a peace agreement between Tyre, which is modern-day Lebanon, and the Jewish people. John Rood gave us his update on the European Union, talking about the European Union giving millions of dollars to protect the Palestinian identity of the city of Jerusalem. By the way, the Palestinians will be the only ones that survive that alignment of Islamic nations, and they will go through the tribulation period ultimately to be totally destroyed, Obadiah verse 18. Don DeYoung talked with us about the asteroids that had come very close this week to hitting the earth. There's going to be one upcoming very soon. It's called the election asteroid, and it'll hit the earth most likely one day before the national elections. We'll be watching for that because it'll be an interesting event. David James and I, we discussed and gave a report on the RNC, the Republican National Convention, and Mike Pence. As we did last week, we compared the vice presidential candidate, Kamala Harris, with where she stood on the issues from a biblical perspective. So we did the exact same thing to be fair and balanced with Mike Pence. This is a very interesting report. You need to exercise your franchise to vote, but you need to make sure you understand the biblical issues and how to vote on them. Watch a candidate to see where they stand on abortion, homosexuality, and the Jewish state of Israel. And by the way, everything else after that. It's key that we vote, but it's key also that we remember to pray for those who are even in leadership roles today are endeavoring to become leaders of the known world. And that's 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. I've got to remind you that all of these reports gave us details, information, behind the issues that we have been discussing from these different regions of the world. And we can see, as we look at them very closely and compare them to the prophetic scriptures of God's Word, how close we are to the fulfillment of prophecy for the future. And it does, of course, help us to recognize that the next event on God's calendar, the rapture of the church, could actually happen at any moment even today. And having said that, nothing left for me to say except let's keep looking up until... 
thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Thank you.